0: Hey guys, what's up? It's Zemet here with Cartel Aristocrats cast number 47. I'm joined this week with my co-host Ed Wynn, head buyer for Kerwin's Game Shop, and Jim Casale of uh, writer for Modern Nexus and an old writer for MTG Price. Our other co-host this week, Travis Allen, is on vacation. He will not be back for two weeks, and we're trying to get a quick recording in before we all head out uh, to GPU Orlando if you guys want to come and say hi. Uh, Ed, you were at uh, GP Shizuoka this weekend, now I might have pronounced that wrong, but was there anything that you noticed on the floor just with Modern Masters 3 coming out, was there anything different in Japan that you saw price-wise compared to the United States?
1: Uh, so some things to know in Japan, though, the, just naturally the market is structured a little bit differently. Uh, so to start things off, um, a lot of stores they, at the GP they had Modern Masters 3 in Japanese for sale. I saw very little English product. Um, speaking with some of my friends at tokyo mtg shout out to them uh for letting me hang out with them for the weekend uh the majority of the english stuff sold japanese stuff obviously commands a premium especially on some of the foils things like that so the first thing to note is that in japan uh the cost of a pack was roughly 1300 yen that comes out to about ten dollars eleven dollars and change or so and for boxes they don't offer any sort of discount for boxes in japan it's the cost of a box is quite literally the cost of pack 1300 yen times 24. That goes, that's the that's pretty standard across the board. That goes for all card games, uh, not just magic, that goes for standard product, limited release product, etc. So, it, um, the cost of a box came out to 13,000 or 31,200 yen, which is roughly 280. Um, and for the most part, the prices kind of mirrored English, but obviously, naturally. Uh, things are just a little bit more expensive there. So fetches, uh, Tarmogoy's, Liliana's, they were just naturally more expensive there. They didn't take quite as a big uh, of a price hit um, as compared to a lot of the stuff in the U.S. Um, mainly the demand is just so much higher there. It's just harder to kind of have enough product to fulfill the needs of the market. So things didn't fall quite as hard as they did there. But uh, vendors, they had after stores are pretty high buyers for them a lot of them did open some products to stock their cases so uh a lot of it was available uh when i was trying to kind of just do a comparison between u.s prices and japanese prices japanese prices were obviously a little bit more but it, i definitely saw a trend that was kind of falling across the board as well everyone was trying to get out of there liliana's it was possible to get Liliana's on not cheap tarmacoy it's not cheap those types of things uh and it, the, the amount that's available is kind of definitely reflected. Everyone was ready to get out of it, just kind of move on and just kind of jump into hype while players were still looking to buy stuff up.
0: And Jim, I know you were specifically watching a couple of cards uh, as far as TCG Player goes. Uh, we did see Modern Masters 3 take a huge hit uh, Friday and Saturday when TCG Player had their sale. We'll get into a little bit more about TCG Player and their programs in a minute. But um, what were some of the cards you were looking at picking up, Jim? And what happened to those prices? Were you able to get them in time? Or with all these cards starting to rise 10% in the last two days, was it just too late?
2: Um, I was really only looking to buy Blood Moons because I'm really only looking to build one deck. I was hoping to play Storm this weekend in Orlando and some side events or whatever. Um, So I'll probably end up spending a little bit more on them than I wanted to. But that was probably just my fault for being a little too greedy. As far as like waiting for the price to drop, uh, I think that beyond that, though, I was looking at some more casual cards. Like I want to get more Crater Hoof Behemoths and um, like Cyclonic Rift. yeah, Cyclonic Rift. Just like all the like random EDH cards because that's mostly what I play now. But they're still way too high at this at this point in time to like be interested in buying them. Like I'm looking towards more like either the, later this summer or in December. Um, to start picking them up once people are just like done holding on to them They just cash them out for whatever to pay for their standard or modern decks or whatever and then I can get them on the cheap so I wasn't really like paying attention to those cards specifically, but uh, for the most part everything has Either stabilized or started to rise a little bit, which is not terribly surprising because that's basically what happened with uh, modern masters 2015 Um in my article that's coming out tomorrow i use the price graph for uh noble hierarch from modern masters 2015 where like started off at 40 dollars dipped down to 30 the weekend it came out and then like the monday or tuesday after that it went back up to like thirty-five, thirty-eight 38 and then slowly and steadily went down for the rest of the year so um i'm not particularly surprised that this has happened um Some people are just going to open their packs and be like, oh, Blood Moons are only $20 now? Well, I'll just hold on to them. They have to go up. And then eventually they get sick of holding on to them because Magic players have no patience, and then they'll end up selling them for less than that anyway.
0: Um, Yeah, so we saw some of these big-time U.S. vendors, like Card Kingdom, for example, set basically the floor on, you know, this is how much we'll be buying these cards at, and TCG Player... Orge's players in general demand auto-corrected some of this. We saw Blood Moon as low as 16 when Card Kingdom was paying sixteen dollars um, I'm definitely taking advantage of the arbitrage available to fly Blood Moons over to Japan, where you can get about $22, $23 per copy. Uh, so I bought a lot of them. Unlike um, Grasp of Fate, I bought neither of those cards out, though. Um, so just to clarify, because we did have some listeners after I picked uh, the white oblivion ring from commander last week, uh, we got, it got bought out today actually. And people were asking me if I bought it out. I didn't buy that card out. Um, I bought out Eidolon, but it's nice to call stuff like wars toll and uh, the white commander oblivion ring ahead of time. So that our listeners who are who are either watching live or listening in the same night can make a little bit of money. Um, So there is arbitrage obviously available in Japan and Looking at some of these buy lists, um, if you're going to a Grand Prix where Hiruya is, you may be able to just uh, arbitrage yourself by looking at Hiruya's online buy list and then bringing them to the US vendor. Because generally, the cards that they have on their hot list and they're paying a ton on are cards that Hiruya is also paying a ton on. but the Japanese market is not something necessarily that uh, our listeners want to hear a lot about because it's such a niche market where a lot of people won't be able to get over there, fly over there or sell cards to the Japanese vendors themselves. Um, But modern masters three is something that pretty much everybody uh, experienced or open to pack. I would hope if you're listening to this cast, Uh, my general, um, My general response was, Friday night, everybody opened cards. Everyone was happy. We had a ton of people drafting. It was our biggest event for draft. And then Saturday, I got a lot of messages of people saying, holy crap, my cards have fallen a ton. I want to sell them. So they sold them to me. And then on Sunday, all the cards went back up. So you're seeing this sort of first wave cycle of the cards moving from players to the shops and then back out to the player base as cards rise. And we're going to get a second run of this. It's not going to be nearly as big as the first run, but we're still going to get a little more supply into the market. Um, But as far as the people who are complaining that their modern collection is dead and, you know, it's all doom and gloom, this is great for shops because, sure, you don't sell your one-place set of Vernon Catacombs off the shelf, but now you have so much more momentum and velocity coming out uh, through your storefront and sales that it helps the shop out a lot. And that's why these reprints are really good for the game is because, sure, for the established players, you take a little bit of a ding, but your overall portfolio will rise as more and more people join your format. And the cards that didn't get reprinted or have demand for them go up a lot in some cases. I know Scape ships one that a lot of people are looking at to go up in the next week or two. So it's just something to keep an eye on.
2: I don't know why people fire sell their cards after they go down instead of before that really never, I never really understood that.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's real weird. You see people open these scalding tarns and they use the whole storage words analogy where, well, that's a $35 bill or whatever the guy on the show says when he makes up dollar bills that have no actual amount. And, uh, you know, Friday night, they're like, wow, I paid for my box. This is easy, free money. And then Saturday, as the cards, as TCG put out its 3% sale for the weekend to entice people to buy these cards and churn an inventory for the vendors, uh, a lot of these cards just dropped. And then, I guess, Sunday, Saturday night into Sunday, people were like, wait, there's a deal going on? Let me buy these back up. So there was a point where Tarmogoyf and Liliana were super low here as well. And if you had a chance to get in on that, you know, I'm seeing a ton of people sell Tarmocoyce for $70 on Facebook, but people were selling them for 60, 65 on Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon. And that was the real time to buy. Now, of course, none of us knew exactly how low some of these prices would go, but you know, uh, Card Kingdom didn't publish their buy list um, until I want to say Saturday morning. I know channel fireball, which is something that we use to map uh Demand and how how to curate our bios locally. They weren't even putting foil numbers on anything from Modern Master Seventeen. I was trying to find out the price of a foil scalding turn, which was ninety dollars on Friday night. Card or Channel Fireball wasn't even offering a number on it, so I didn't know what to offer until I started looking at eBay completed and other shops because we try to match or beat any bios on the internet for that stuff. Um, so it's just interesting to see how fast some of these vendors were like, yeah, well, we'll. We'll put a uh, we'll put a stop right there because I know if Blood Moon had fallen to ten dollars, Jim and I definitely would have bought a playset or two because it's like forty dollars when Blood Moon used to be forty. You know, at some point the natural demand just stops the cards from falling any farther. But it also helps when vendors put their foot in the door and uh, add a little bit of stability to your box openings.
1: I actually think there's uh, like a little bit more room to fall. Um... Anyone out there who's looking to, you know, like the most frequent question is like, you know, hey, like, you know, I need the last few cards for Jun. When should I get like my fourth Lilian of the Veil? When do I need to get like the last one or two Blood Moons? Um, I think people have a fair amount of time to wait. Um, obviously, kind of the initial panic selling always happens. That's unavoidable. You know, people are into their boxes for 180 to 200. You know, they'll definitely crack like, oh, I don't need this cavern Souls. I don't need this extra tarmago if I already have my four people will always want to cash out. Um, So that's why, that's kind of how you have the biggest influx into a market. This weekend, we'll kind of probably see another second wave. This is the first weekend with uh, vendors being able to buy Modern Masters cards uh, since in Japan at the Grand Prix, local law actually uh, forbids vendors from buying cards from players. Vendors are only there to sell. Um, So in Orlando, we'll have kind of a bigger macro picture of all the buy lists. Obviously, vendors will obviously want to pick this stuff up. It's, you know, anyone who runs modern events in-store, they just want to have this stuff. The stuff is super, super liquid. There's still tons ton of people out there who haven't had the chance to crack more Masters products because either their initial pre-orders got canceled, they haven't been able to get their hands on it for whatever reason. The stuff is still super liquid. I think that after this weekend, once a, a lot of vendors are starting to pick the stuff up and then just putting more and more back in the market, We'll probably see another kind of dip after this weekend, uh, probably from here on until Amonkhet. Um Mainly there, there will just be more events. People will continue to buy product. We'll probably see more sealed uh, PPTUs happening uh, locally. If you haven't had yours this past weekend, I'm sure there's still a few more that will fire. Uh, it, it's, just, it's just a time of just letting stuff slowly bleed into market. Uh, prices will continue to go down, I think um mainly up until amoket goes out there's just no real interest for any of the, these other formats right now um the no ban the no banning thing has made standard like super super stale i don't think anyone's actively looking to play standard right now uh there's no other than santonio San which is modern that might be kind of the the big bump for people who are trying to get the last minute cards for modern it's basically all quiet until amoket spoilers start coming out and kind of looking at what's next type thing
0: but ne- not necessarily is it a bad time to pick up your cards as well. You know, if you've been waiting for these cards to get reprinted, they finally did get reprinted, and it sure feels nice paying $14 on a Goblin Guide instead of 35
2: I just want to stop and, like, go back for a second. So, Ed, you said that you can't, like, local laws prohibit people from or vendors from buying cards at Japanese Grand Prix. Is that just, like, recently released cards or just all cards in general? All cards in general. Like there's no trading,
1: there's no buying anything. Like you in order to do that, you actually have to go to their place of business, their actual office, and sell them cards.
2: That is very weird. So like then how do the vendors like why do they go there at all? Like that's a weird thing, because when you think about North American Grand Prix, most vendors are going there to buy cards. Like if they leave with no money, then it's usually a good it's a good weekend. But I feel like that's really Weird that it's the other it seems to be the other way around
1: Yeah, uh, in
2: Japan, they're basically like obviously they're
1: only there to sell cards. So they have a lot of creative ways of doing it Um, Obviously they like they have fully stocked cases a lot of places will carry like, you know, various sleeves deck boxes those types of things Um, But the other way they out cards, which is pretty unheard of in America. They call it KUJI, which is the Japanese word for lottery um so there are a bunch of different ways of doing it. I'm trying trying to find some pictures on my phone, but um, the most common way is just basically grab bags. They basically just take a card, flip it over in a sleeve, um, and they just have like a four a four thousand count of them, or however many they want to do. And it's basically cost a certain amount, anywhere from like fifty yen a pull to which is like forty cents, all the way up to like ten thousand yen, which is ninety two dollars ish. Um, and the way they, they basically calculate it out where they want the entire value of the box to be a certain amount, they can divide it by the number of cards, and then that's how much they charge for each. Um, they do a lot of cool ways to incentivize people to buy. Um, for anyone watching this live or going back to watch the video, if you can, this is a picture of Haruya's Kuji. Basically, this is one pull is 2,000 yen, and you can. they have basically every Kaladesh invention in there, um, among other artifacts. Um, they do like all these sort of creative things, uh, some of which I don't fully understand uh, because I can't read Japanese. But it's basically just different methodologies for stores to out products. At Tokyo MTG, they had um, one where it was 2,000 pull, roughly $18. Um, every pack had at least one Japanese foil in it. Uh, some packs had two Japanese foil commons, which were considered misses. And if you got five misses in a row, you would win one of the big prizes, like a foil guy's cradle, uh, foil force of will, expedition wasteland, these types of things. So basically, it, like it's it's basically meant for stores to turn over a product. Um, in order for you to actually sell cards, you actually need to go to the physical store. And inside every single store, if I can find a picture here. Um, so I want, I'm showing a picture of basically printed buy lists in store Uh, almost every store has these. They're basically, they just update the buy list and they're all printed out. Um, This has basically, uh, it's kind of hard to see on my phone since I, but they have every expansion, all the money cards listed on there, um, similar to the old printed uh, buy list that we saw at Grand Prix, but it was just posted inside their store. Um, And that was basically how vendors would be buying cards. But at the Grand Prix... At the Grand Prix, it's pretty much exclusive selling. The Kuji's are pretty much the big focus for vendors there.
0: And how many licensed vendors were at uh, the GP this weekend?
1: Uh, I want to say there were 10.
0: Right. So one of the other things you could argue is because there's less competition, they all want to promote their shops because it's such a competitive uh, industry, especially in like some of the bigger cities like Tokyo and Osaka. There's a lot of people... I mean, especially where I'm going this upcoming weekend in Akihabara, there's just so many shops that I think you also want to sort of promote your brand as well and get it out there, whereas USGP vendors may not necessarily... I mean, I've seen booths that are literally just two guys sitting at a table with like a really bad uh, sign put up and just bare mark cases.
1: Yeah, the biggest difference between here and Japan is that... uh... Like, realistically, when you go to these Grand prix, like, how many of these stores will you realistically visit, right? Like, I'm, I was actually hoping to make an effort to go visit, like, Cool Stuff this past weekend, or this next coming weekend since we're in Orlando. Um, I have visited MTG Deals, I visit Card Kingdom, but for your average person, going out to all these stores is just, like, not remotely possible, mainly because the U.S. is so big. Whereas in Japan, because everything is so much more concentrated in a small area... And because of lost stores, they have more than one location. Uh, one of the bigger vendors, like Haruya, they opened up. I think their second or third location in Japan recently. Or
0: they opened four, and one of them's next to the airport in Narita.
1: Okay, yeah, so four yeah. locations. Um, like Big Magic, Hobby Station, the other two big tos in Japan, they have dozens of locations. I think Big Magic has something like fifty or sixty locations. Um, Dragon Store, which is another big Japanese vendor, they have two hundred locations. Um. So realistically, you know, your average person will visit these locations. So just getting their brand out there, promoting their, uh, promoting their brand. That's a much, much bigger thing in Japan than it is here in the U S.
0: And for people who are looking at maybe going to Japan, like I am, you can contact some of these vendors. I know specifically if you're looking to get your first step into Japanese finance, talk to Tokyo MTG, who Ed has bought for in the United States at Jersey, I want to say, um, they have an online English buy list. So you don't have to go to Japan and look at, uh, oftentimes these bios will just be in Japanese uh, from what I've heard, but you can go on Tokyo MTG's website and they have a buy list for everything in English already set up for you. So you don't have to really worry about it as much, sort of like Channel Fireball or Star City where you can just log in and see exactly what they're paying. Obviously the grading system is a little different, but it helps you give a good idea on the price differences and arbitrage. So it's just something to keep in mind. Um, so we talked about Modern Masters 3, uh, GP Orlando is coming up this weekend and all three of us will be in attendance. Um, I'm not sure if we'll have time to record a cast there with, or at least I won't. Um, I will only be there Friday until the afternoon and I think Jim and Ed will be on site all three days. I want to say, I'm not sure if you guys sort of want to fill me in on that
2: it is likely what Jim said
0: yeah um so if you guys want to say hi to Jim or Ed if you're not going to make it Friday morning then you can't say hi to me um but yeah stay stop by hit us up with feedback what we're doing right what we're doing wrong see how short Jim is in person all that fun stuff uh you can just say hi to all the cast members besides Travis so that is the plan um we will maybe try to record something friday or saturday but i i personally can't promise anything because i am just there for such a short time um so ed what would your plan theoretically be if you want to cool stuff would it just be like hey i'll take excess inventory off your hands or hey i want to see deals because uh one of our old cast members douglas johnson over a brainstorm brewery drove down to Card Advantage down in Atlanta where Thomas does the MTG Blueprint, which is a good way for listeners to sell their bulk commons at 4 to $0.06 a piece, which adds up real fast when you have tens of thousands of bulk commons that Thomas needs. Uh, Doug stopped by all these shops on the way down, like these baseball card shops, these comic book shops, attempting to see what they had mispriced and what he could theoretically flip on the way there or back, like, hey, I'll take all your bulk rares because they're sitting in a closet. Um, when you go to stuff for cool stuff, is it more company work or are you just networking? Like what's the purpose of visiting all these shops?
1: Um, so basically every trip, uh, I go, I try and just talk to stores. Um, I I think one of the most important things in this industry is seeing how other people do business, right? Like it's, it's, it's hard to say what I'm doing right like I know like hey like certain processes work for me and this honestly goes you know from my level at like being a massive store all the way down to a you know a a, um like a small time backpack dealer or just try to keep the game simple for yourself um it's important to know like hey what you're doing might work but if you're doing something wrong you might not necessarily be privy to it mainly because you're not willing to go out there and look at different things Um, so I think like, um, we're like, one of the things we're talking about, like, you know, all these different people, they have such different ideas. So many people write about finance. Um, you want to listen to dissenting opinions, even if you don't agree with them. Um, so like a lot of these stores, you know, like I just, you know, I see them, they have just such ridiculous practices in my mind. It's just so different from what I do, but being able to see why stores operate on this way, why other people... Are looking to buy into cards, etc. Why people have certain ideas, it's really important because you just want to learn. Like, there's different ideas we can incorporate. There's always something you can take away. So, whenever I have a chance to visit stores, I really try and talk to people. See, like, you know, on the small on the small scale, like, hey, how do you do TCG orders? Like, what does your inventory look like? Um, you know, like, what does a day to day like pulling packing look like for you? These are different types of things that a lot of places are more than happy to share mainly because not, it's not really proprietary information. You know, people like it's common knowledge to use like dimo label printers. Once you get to a certain point, it just way faster to print out labels, shave on, save on shipping, et cetera. Even for small time, uh, people, once you get to a certain number of TC orders, it just makes sense to get, instead of writing out every order by hand, you just want a label printer. Like it's, it's those small types of tips and tricks of the trade that a lot of places will share with you. Um, and it's it's just kind of a way of just improving how you do things because at the at the core of this, like time is money, and being as efficient as possible when you do this is you know one of the like most valuable things that you can take away from this business, like whether like it be magic or if you move on to something else, like you know time being efficient with your time is something that I think people tend to overlook um, when they go about like floor trading or just trying to look into buying on specs or whatever like these are types of things that you need to be somewhat cognizant of that i'm not sure everyone like really gives it much thought when they just look at oh this this card is undervalued i should just buy it out and just hold on to them for like a long time for them to go up or whatever um it, it's just one of those things and i think a lot of stores like they do have valuable things to um offer no matter how big or small they are and that's a real good
0: uh Advice for our listeners who are not necessarily at the top of the food chain Like Ed, where you're moving a massive amount of quantities of cards every week You know if you're a backpack grinder and you're using an hour to make an extra four dollars in trades or value Picking like nickels out of bulk. What's your time worth in the end? So just something to, to focus on uh, When you're especially when you're picking bulk, I would argue that's the most time consuming that in inventory at least for me so uh, Jim. So, is there anything you've noticed as you've transitioned from a competitive player to a casual player, as far as watching cards? So, something such as the uh, two mana blue blue counter spell from Lorwyn, returned a return a, a creature you control to your hand, and a counter target spell that was just reprinted in Modern Masters. Is stuff like that catching your eye more as you transition into the, uh, the casual marketplace and the casual games? One of the biggest hangups in the finance uh, community is everybody's focused on the next spiking card at the Pro Tour. They want that next Emrakul. They want that next Torrential Gearhulk. Um, is there any way for the listeners who are way more competitively focused for this podcast to sort of understand what goes on in a casual's mindset when they're buying cards, like fetch lands and other things?
2: Um I don't know. It's just like you have to you have to take a look at cards with a different lens when you want to try to get figure out if something's good and casual or not. Um really the the keys to those types of cards are their power, just raw power. Like Cyclonic Rift is just some one of the most powerful spells you could ever cast, regardless of how much mana it costs. Um expropriates another card that's like you know, prohibitively expensive for a competitive format, and it'll never get cast there, but in more casual formats like EDH and whatever, like, nine mana is not, like, a real number that people care that much about. Like, you'll get there eventually because those kinds of players are not going for your throat at all, you know, at all times. Like, some some games will be fast, but most of them take forever, and, um, you know, you, you have to look at that from that point of view. But then also, it's like things that are niche and there's not a lot of cards that do that thing or there are cards that like that have a very odd purpose. I don't know how to like describe it really. Um, But Familiar's Ruse is is, I think the card that you're talking about. I think that's the name of it. Um, Like obviously that card's not great if you're playing competitive magic because you don't really want to pick up your Delver of Secrets to counter their spell. That's like not really what you want to be doing, but if you're playing a deck that has like a bunch of elves that have entered the battlefield effects or whatever, or like I don't know, elf is probably not like the most common. Tri- whatever, like a diluvian blue creature. Primordial. Sure, like yeah, like a diluvian primordial, or just even like like people would want to use that to pick up their avengers ender car and play it again, just like a big effect. So it's it's a spell that has a downside usually, but people that are more casual don't care that much about the downside they want it to just continue to do sweet things for them so so big effects powerful cards and niche cards i think are the most important and the most sought after uh casual cards like what are the the, the probably the two most power like the two most popular like casual cards in in modern masters 2017 for example are probably Craterhoof hoof is like definitely the most popular, and then after that, you could like make an argument for like one of the miracle cards or Sphinx's Revelation or like Deadeye Navigator, like Cyclonic Rift. Like, just all these cards are just like not very cost effective. In they're not very cost efficient if you're just playing a you know one on one game and trying to kill someone as quickly as possible, but if you're just like playing a four, five, 8, 15 person game or whatever, like then you have the time to set up all that stuff. You want the most powerful card or the most odd card. Like there's no card that does the same thing as Deadeye Navigator. That card that just doesn't exist. So because it's the best at what it does, and it's the only thing that does that, it is popular with the people that want to play that card.
1: Yeah, like one of the things I found out recently, um, if uh, people don't know about it, EDH Rec. It's a very, very useful site. Um if you look at, if you go to it, you can basically search um, decks by commander. So there's colored, there's all ten color, uh, two color combinations, three color combinations, etc. You can see the generals are played, um, which are which is basically kind of like the level one for uh, EDH finance. It's, hey, like what commanders have big splashy effects that are super powerful type. Uh, those are the commanders you want to look for. And then you can kind of go down and look at staples. Like if I pull up... Uh, I'm just looking at, like, a traxer right now, for example. Like, Sol Ring is obviously the big winner. Like, Sol Ring is always going to be the big winner in EDH decks. But you can see, like, things like Deep Glow Skate, Astro chromac Chromatic Lantern, Merciless Eviction, Tezzer's Gambit, and Crystalline Crawler. Those are the top... Um, Like, those are top six cards in that category. And for the most part, I think you can kind of take away, like, oh, these cards, have. there's a lot of demand for them. They aren't super expensive necessarily. But it's very easy to see, like, wow, Deep Glow Skate. Like, it's easy to see why this is an $8 card because it has a very unique and powerful effect, like Jim said. And those are types of things that you basically just are basically slam dunks because, you know, it's easy enough and competitive to identify, like, Wow, the six mana like flash creature that lets you like flashback a spell for free like it's not hard to see that's good, but it's a much harder and kind of l- more demanding skill to kind of acknowledge that like wow this card is this card goes in every blue commander deck type thing, um and it, those are types of things that you want to focus on if you're looking to get into a casual market.
2: It's also important if you're using EDH Rec to. Be careful because a lot of those cards that Ed mentioned are part of the precon, which is why they're in there. So cards that are not necessarily particularly good but are good enough and come in the pre-constructed deck are often going to show up as the highest cards on the list. So sometimes you have to go a little bit further down before you start seeing cards that are not part of the pre-con list that are worth buying.
0: That's a good point. Do you guys want to get into viewer questions or is there anything else you want to bring up first? Hit them with the viewer questions. All right. Greg Adams asks, how did you guys get your start into playing magic and making money off of magic, specifically Ed in parentheses?
1: Uh, Wow. Okay. Um, Pretty straightforward for me, I started playing in 1996, uh, Mirage, uh, nerdy friends, parents, Like oddly enough, were big D&D fans, they hosted like, D&D at their house. Uh, so we had started X. We just started uh, bashing against each other, lose packs. Um, for the finance aspect of it, I used a site called uh, Magic uh, Online Trading League, MOTL. It's basically a defunct site at this point. Um, it's things like facebook puka trade uh all these different types of things have basically just kind of negated the need for a form like that but um it started basically i would just start buying collections just trading them out online getting more stuff in this was well before there were any sort of like there. well before like a TG player like gave you an easy access to prices um start buying collections flipping stuff um and I, I started doing that, like, early 2000s. I think that was kind of, like, when it was easy. It was easier, especially trading online. You could buy and sell very easily, uh, especially through magic online trading. It was a giant forum. People were on there from all over the world, like Singapore, Japan, Europe, the U.S. Um, so it was, like, really easy, mainly because things were way cheaper then. Uh, and after that, I kind of moved on to doing it to pay for college. Um Same kind of deal, just on a larger scale. Um, I would just basically, after classes every day, I would just go back, ship out orders for trades, get cards in, just kind of grow a collection over time. The biggest kind of boom was like early 2010, I think that was when most of us got in, where it was easy to see when cards just started going up like crazy. That was when Star City had their huge surge in legacy. Anyone holding on to dual Ends at the time was a massive winner. Then the same kind of deal with Modern A1 who had Modern staples, and they started going crazy. Um, that was when I started like selling stuff out and then started turning that into more and more Magic cards faster and faster. And then eventually uh, I came, I moved out to New York to uh, work with Kerwin's after I met my roommate Dan Ward at the Pro Tour. And he, uh, he said that Kerwin's was doing their first Grand Prix in Atlantic City in 2015 in May. Uh, They fooled me out for that to vent with them, and that was kind of how this whole vending side of it got started.
2: Uh, I guess I have a little bit of a shorter story, a little bit more succinct, but uh, I started playing Magic during Mercadian Masks. Um, I played in middle school with just some friends at the lunch table. Um, Nothing super serious. Uh, When I went to high school... I got a little bit more into it, a little bit more into the competitive side. Um, I played at, yeah, lunch table. Uh, I played at the neutral ground in New York City. So uh, I thoroughly got stomped by some of the best players in the game. Um, And even at that point in time, like not to like name drop or anything, but like I'm kind of, I'm pretty close to the same age as uh, Christian Calcano. And we played a lot at Neutral Grounds, because we were both in high school and young and didn't have any money, and, um, you know, I, I, I played for probably like five or six years, you no, know, seven years, and then I quit for a while, because uh, I graduated high school, and I didn't talk to the friends that played Magic anymore, and I didn't go into the city all the time, uh, and then I went to college, and then my college roommates played Magic, so then I got back into it, like, around Dark Ascension, so... I quit during, like, Betrayers of Kamagawa until Dark Ascension, which sucks because I missed, like, a lot of the best modern stuff, like all the gold sets and whatever, but it is what it is. Um, and then I played pretty much on a budget for a really long time because I was in college and I didn't have a job because I didn't have time. I could just barely play Magic. So um, from that point, I, I kind of used the MTG Finance stuff really to fuel my hobby and not so much to make money but like buying and selling cards and like trading more it was more like trading into cards that were worth more or trading into stuff that was going to become worth more because at that point in time people really weren't um, they weren't really keeping up with the trends so like for example people even now still they do this they they held on to their standard cards too long before rotation and then they went down and then they they weren't worth anything so before that it would happen, I would try to trade them into cards that were going to, that were newer and were going to keep more of their value, but not the newest cards because those were always the most expensive. So, you know, just like basic buying and selling stuff, it's like just basic, you know, collection health stuff, I guess, at this point. And uh, I went to the Pro Tour uh, for Kaladesh and then I stopped playing competitive magic because it's expensive. And I wanted to spend more money on my house and stuff. So that is, I guess, my story in magic. I don't know. I just play EDH now because it's fun.
0: I find it funny that you said your story was going to be shorter than Ed's.
2: I, you know, to... I said that, and then I got into it, and then it was whatever. I, I just, I got too I got to into it. Yeah. I, I should have stopped sooner or said less things, but it's whatever.
0: Um, I played Magic. Like, I didn't even used to play Magic. I used to grind Yu-Gi-Oh! for money, and then I got, then I got real lucky at a yard sale and started playing with a lot of friends uh, locally. Um, my Magic has never been a good thing for me as far as I'm concerned. I think we can all agree it's a little addictive. Uh, I use it to pay for school, and that's it. Uh, there's no end goal except to get the hell out of this game when I'm done with uh, law school. Like that's my overall plan. And I don't know. Like there's a real ne- negative connotation in magic where I'm from, and I, I'm not really a fan of it outside of making money off a of bit to pay bills. So that's that's my end game is to cash out and not have to worry about grinding and going to GPS. But in the meantime, as long as it pays the bills, I might as well uh, stay connected to the prices. Um, and i have no clue about travis i think he's been playing the longest out of all of us so i'm sure we'll ask him this question in the future uh when he gets back from vacation but thank you for that uh that question um let's see do we want to answer any more of these or we want to move in a pick of the week
1: let's answer another question because i have to think about my pick of the week because i don't have one
2: all right, well, I was going to also say that as long as it's not a like, can you tell me the life story of you and Magic, it should probably go better.
0: Yeah, Jim, they also want your social security number for one re- for a reason.
2: Uh, I, I, I don't even know what it is. I have it written down somewhere.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like, honestly, back in the day, and, like, for all the new people listening that just got on the MTG financing, like, even three years ago, people didn't really understand, like, price movement. I mean, look, like, in Missouri, people still trade. Apparently, in the East Coast, it's a dead thing, but a ton of people still trade locally, which is real nice.
2: I mean, people trade locally. I just don't have the patience for it anymore. Like, I don't want to sit down with some guy that's, like, trying to nickel and dime me because people don't really, like, like Ed said, they don't really appreciate their their time. Like, it's not worth as much to them as it is to me. Um, so, you know, they'll they'll haggle and sit there and, you know, want to be like, oh, no, I want, you know – Sixteen fifty for this instead of sixteen dollars, and I just I don't have that patience anymore.
0: Yeah, like, but I, you could argue it was different before everyone used smartphones to keep track of, uh, of pricing. Not even as far as fleecing goes,
2: but I just like, saying, like I would, I, I I was definitely that kind of guy in high school that would just like destroy people because they just didn't know what their cards were worth, and I feel bad about it in hindsight. But at the time, like everyone did it, so I don't really know how much worse. That's I not an feel. excuse.
0: That's not an excuse.
2: I'm, I'm, I'm owning up to it. Like it's a shitty thing, and I, I wish I hadn't done it. But at the point, at that point in time, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know if I hadn't realized how shitty it was if I would have done anything different. I was also a, a kind of a crappy teenager, so I don't really think that I would have had the the conscience to stop.
0: We know you're a shitty person. That's why you moved to Orlando. That Who else would live there? True.
2: There's like a ton of people that live here, but that's not the point. And a lot of people come visit. If it was a shitty city, then people wouldn't come to visit.
0: Disneyland. That's it.
2: Disney World. Disneyland's in California.
0: Whatever, the same thing. No, it's not. I'm not getting into this argument about Disney gym. Uh let's move it up of the week. Uh, Ed, since you've been fervently, re- you've become a hapless researcher in the last minute. Do you want to start off with a pick of the week?
1: Uh, yeah. Um, I'll probably go with uh, Nissa Vital Force. Um, obviously, like anyone who's listened to this in the past, I tend to target standard cards. I'm even though I'm big into EDH, I'm just not quite as familiar with it. Um my targets generally are cards in standard that will flip very quickly, uh planeswalkers in standard that have very powerful unique effects tend to do well. Um, I think this a force kind of falls that's very very good against playing long grindy games. We have seen some history of it being played in like the black green delirium type decks, uh, kind of before Aether revolt where you'd get a long grindy game. Um, and this is kind of the perfect planeswalker that overpowers that. The biggest thing why I'm bringing it to light now is um, it's it's kind of at the point where it's hard to say going forward. Like, obviously, Sanders is a little oppressive right now. Gideon is very good. The cat combo is quite good. Uh, Hardikir and Mardu vehicle, like, both like that deck as a whole, just very, very powerful a punishing decks that try trying to play the long game. Um, this is kind of more of a hedge that Amakat will be shaping, uh, kind of shaping things differently, and hopefully we'll kind of move away from what we have now. So any sort of mythic that's in standard that has a long lifespan, like those are types of cards that I want to be picking up now. Um, it's a cheap enough buy. I think on TTPILER you can buy as little as like three bucks or something. I need to check on the exact price on that. Uh, most vendor buy lists have it for almost nothing. Um. I, I, that's the type of card you want to be targeting. Like, Sahili, like anyone who remembers, like before Aether Vault came down, like I bought infinite copies of that card at like 2 to $3. People were all too happy to ship it because it had no real purpose. And it doesn't take much for like a Planeswalker to just kind of explode in popularity. And I think Nissa kind of fits that role. Obviously, it doesn't have kind of the same explosiveness like it, it did, with, like any did uh, Sahili had with uh, Feld or Guardian, but. I think Nissa is realistically like it could. There, there does exist a standard where it could see play in multiple green decks as a two to three of.
2: Jim, my pick of the week is more of a long term one, but it's something that you should probably keep an eye on. On uh, my pick of the week is Startled Awake. Uh, Rotation is not particularly soon. We still have two more sets before it happens, but. Uh, in the fall of this year is going to have a rotation, it's going to have Battle for Zondikar and Shadows Over Ninchstraw block ro- rotate out. Startle the Wake is a flip mythic, which I think are a tiny bit rarer than uh, than most other mythics in the set. Um, or at least they're in higher demand because Archangel Avison, like for example, was one of the most expensive cards in the set for a very long time. Uh you can find these on TCG player for about a dollar fifty. If you can trade for them at a dollar ish, that's probably really good. But mill cards are always worth something. This is a mill mythic. Um, you know, you could look at uh, consuming aberration for like what mill cards can look like. You know, that was a rare in Geek Crash, which was opened a ton, a ton, 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 like just infinite of it, and it's still worth money. Um, Just like Mind grind was also in that set like mill cards casual mill cards are great This one is is very unique Which is something that I said that casual cards can be to be good is it's a mill card that you can bring back and You know cast again and mill them some more so it's not particularly mana efficient but it's very good if you want to mill people to death and it's a lot cheaper than say glimpse the unthinkable which is like $30 or something right now. Like there's an insane amount of money for what is not a very good card.
0: And if you guys really listen to the cast, you would have uh, picked this up when I called it back in September. So good pick, Jim.
2: I mean, how, how much was it then?
0: Probably like 10 cents less. It's all about those long games, man.
2: Um, There's nothing wrong with the refresher. What's like, why can't you just say, why can't we pick the same thing? It could still be good now, and it could have been good in September. Like these are these are cards that you're gonna have to hold on to for, you know, years. probably years. Like this is this is the kind of stuff that you just, like throw in a box. It's like super hard to reprint too because it's a double face card. So like I don't know how you could possibly go wrong just ha- just owning these if you like didn't really want to keep it in a bank account for some reason. Like I don't know.
0: My pick of the week is Diagraph Colossus. This is a zombie favorite that we are struggling to keep in stock. It is a whopping 50 cents right now, and it says whenever you cast a zombie spell, you get a 2-2 zombie. So seems good. Casual picks for the win. Pick these up and trade. Free money. I think that's going to do it for this week. Where can people find you guys besides GP Orlando this weekend?
2: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at phrost underscore you can find me on Modern Nexus every week and Gathering magic every other week
1: uh, On Twitter at win 13 uh, I Usually respond to questions pms pretty quick Orlando this weekend San Antonio the weekend after that Mexico City to round out my five-week Grand Prix stretch uh, quick shout out to gamers helping gamers um, we will be hosting a charity at my store, current's Game Store, upstate New York, in Catskill. Anyone uh, who is not familiar with the gaming help, gamers helping gamers uh, charity, it was founded by John Finkel. Um, they basically, it's a small scholarship process. It helps puts uh, kids through college, um, undergrad specifically. I believe Doug Johnson was a recipient of one of them. Oliver 2 was a recipient last year. Um, and you can definitely see like magic, like obviously for both Doug and uh, Oliver magic is a big part of their lives and what they do and to see that it pays off for them by helping them fund college. Uh, it's a great organization. Uh, you guys can check out. I think it's GamersHelpingGamers.org. helping uh, The store uh, will be hosting a tournament on April 1st. I believe it's a Sunday. Um, come check us out. Uh, we will be streaming it. So uh, I believe we will be streaming it. So uh It'd be awesome if people would come out, check it out, support whatever way they can.
2: Also, as a side note, if you can't make it out to the tournament, you can use Amazon Smile to support Gamers Helping Gamers.
0: Yeah, people never realize that. you can. Always, it's like Amazon.Smile.com. Real easy. Just,
2: Smile.Amazon.com, but close enough.
0: Oh, whatever. Anyway, you give money to Doug, who probably needs it. So give Doug and Gamers Helping Gamers money. Uh, Jim, any other shout-outs for you?
2: uh shout out to my fiance for letting all of these sweaty nerds stay in my house this weekend uh there's like a mini gp going to be in my house since a bunch of judges are, are staying there and these two schmucks
0: yeah um so shout out to kasali productions for hosting us um shout out to uh god i can't even think of who i want to shout out this week Shout out to every customer who calls me before 8 in the morning, even though the shop doesn't open until 11, trying to sell cards because they have serious drug problems and probably need help. Because I swear to God, if I get called at 6 in the morning one more time, I'm just going to kill myself because it's just getting unbearable at this point.
2: Why don't you get a work phone and then just turn it off? I
0: have two phones. I put one on airplane mode. I put the more important one not on airplane mode, and they found out that number. And it's real annoying. So, that oh, is the my. dark side of magic finance. Um, thanks for watching Cartel Aristocrats number 47. We'll see you in Orlando this weekend. Uh, I think we're taking a week off. I'll be in Japan. Ed will be off at GP, and Travis will still be gone. So, unless you want Jim and his fiance to do a cast, if you do tweet at him at Froze, uh, you can find me at Summit Sells Magic or in the great state of Missouri most of the time. Uh, we thank you guys for listening. And as always, we will see you in two weeks.